What do you think about when you hear the word philosophy? The word philosophy takes you back in your mind to a college class that you could barely stay awake in. Well, I invite you to stick around for this episode because I promise you will not be falling asleep. That's because philosophy, the practice of philosophy, can help you help others navigate the complexities of change in this age of AI, while also helping to transform your marketing team, your sales team, even your leadership team by applying ancient wisdom that's still practical, perhaps even more practical in today's modern age. How, you ask? Well, you're thinking a very good question, which we're going to answer together on today's episode of the Banking on Digital Growth Podcast. Greetings and hello, I'm James Robert Lay, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and joining me for today's conversation is Nikos, who's a RevOps manager at Databox. And today, we're going to dive into how philosophy can become a strategic resource, a strategic asset for your financial brand, for your bank, for your credit, and for your fintech along with how philosophical thinking can help you as a leader guide others on your team through turbulent times. Welcome to the show, Nikos. It is great to share time with you today. Thank you. Thank you, James Robert. I'm uh, excited to be here. Well, I'm excited for you to be here too, because we are going to be talking philosophy, ancient truths and wisdom, and how they can still be applied from a leadership perspective, from a business perspective, from a growth perspective in the age of AI to help banks, to help credit unions navigate the complexities of change uh, in this age of AI. But before we do that, what is good in your world right now? Personally or professionally, it is your pick to get started on a positive note. Yeah, I mean, um, as you know, I'm working in Databox, and right now we are doing this uh, refreshing thing. We have a very clear point of view. We believe that the next year is the year of partnerships. And this is what I'm doing right now. I'm working with partners, marketing agencies, consultants. Um, and um, I mean, when you meet with great professionals and you learn from them, it's always refreshing and exciting. Yes. And I'm right there with you. Collaboration has been such a key narrative on this podcast. I think we're just entering a new period to where through collaboration, one plus one does not equal two. One plus one has the potential to equal 11. And I know that you recently shared your thoughts with your team over at Databox around the philosophy of change. And change is such a timely topic on this podcast for, for two different reasons. Number one, I'm getting ready to publish my second book, Banking on Change, uh, in early 2024. And then second, financial brands Banks, credit unions, fintechs, they've experienced a tremendous amount of change, exponential change. Really, you know, if we look back to early 2020, you know, we we started that year. We, we didn't have any idea of what to expect. We know what happened uh, through that whole COVID experience. And since then, I, I just, you know, looking at the macro level, I'm predicting that the pace of change is going to continue to move at a pace that makes many people feel very uncomfortable. Um, and we know that change is hard, change is painful, change can be scary. With that in mind, why might we look to ancient philosophy as a practical path forward to navigate the complexities of change with courage and, and even with confidence? Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, 
philosophy, I mean, first of all, philosophy has a bad reputation because when we think about philosophy, we're thinking about these weird professors that they say things we don't understand. They're using terminology, convoluted language. But actually, we are all philosophers as long as we are thinking how to solve a problem. And this is what ancient philosophers said that philosophy is about. Uh, basically, whenever you use um, reason instead of belief, then you are a philosopher. Right? I really so, like the way that you you reframe that because you know I can hear in my mind people might be listening and like, I don't know if I want to commit to this conversation. It's philosophy. I have had a bad experience with the professor in my university days. I really liked how you reframe that. This is thinking about your thinking or another terminology, metacognition, thinking through your thinking. So I just wanted to address that. That's a great reframing for those watching or listening right now. Stay with us because there's a lot of practical application that goes beyond the theories and the bad experiences that you had in the past here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, talking about change, I mean, the biggest minds uh, um, in the history have uh, reflected on what change means and how to deal with change and the stress. Uh, I mean, the fantastic thing about philosophy is that people thousands of years ago, they were thinking about the same fundamental things as us. Mm. And when you see what they are writing, you see, hey, I mean, modern businesses is exactly the same environment that they are describing, the change and the stress and uh, how we should deal with this, how what we can control, what we cannot control. Um, yeah, how to deal with the unknown. Uh, that's what I love in ancient wisdom. It's interesting you mentioned the unknown because in my first book, Banking on Digital Growth, I was picking up the patterns of people, particularly financial brand leaders in their marketing teams, sales teams, executive teams, there were often four fears that would hold them back from making a commitment to move forward along their digital growth journey. You mentioned the unknown. It was the fear of the unknown. It was fear of change. It was fear of failure. And there was even in some cases, it was fear of success. And so oftentimes we're held back by these, these self-limiting beliefs, these doubts, these experience in the past that to your point, their belief systems and structures that more likely than not might not even be quote unquote real. And we can philosophize and think about what is reality. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole just yet. Uh, Cause we might lose people at that point, but what, what turns you on to this type of thinking about your own thinking here from an experience standpoint? Yeah. Um, when I was trying to learn more about marketing, I did what everyone does uh, when they need to solve this problem. I read books, I went to workshops, I was discussing things with more senior colleagues. Um, and then I realized that, you know, there are these business books, uh, obviously you're writing uh, business books as well. Um, but uh, many, but your philosophy is very different. I have seen you talking about this, exactly what I would mention is that, um, you know, sometimes we want to present something as new, as the new thing. We were talking about collaboration before, yeah. that it's going to be the new thing in uh, next year. I'm sorry, it's not new. It's something that 
we know uh, about these things thousands of years ago. Um, so when I was reading um, marketing books, I realized that these are well-known things, maybe packaged in a different way. Maybe, you know, the tactics are slightly different, but the main, the, the core things are basically ancient. Um, to give you an example, because sometimes we are talking about uh, theoretically, um, okay, I mean, we're talking about how to convince our uh, leads, our prospects, or even our customers to upsell or, um, you know, all these problems that sales and marketing teams have uh, today. And um, everyone is talking about branding, everyone is talking about demands and, you know, things that sound, you know, new fancy new things <laughs> and so on. But, you know, Aristotle, uh, 2,500 years ago, said that when you want to convince someone, there are three things that you need to do, and you need to do them in order. And these are ethos, pathos, logos. Ethos is uh, your point of view, is your reputation. How you can convince someone before even you open your mouth, before even they come to your website, the reputation that you have built. And we are talking about now branding and how to build a reputation on a brand or people that represent the brand. And yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, this is not something new. This is something that people knew thousands of years ago. And they knew that it is even more important than, you know, first, there is ethos. Number two is pathos, which is the uh, what we feel, the um, you know, when you see a brand, okay based on the reputation, of course, this is number one, but what do you think? What are the, um, yeah, what do you feel by seeing the brand? And number three is logos, which is the logical arguments. And we start, I mean, many marketers, we stress about, you know, the copy should be good, the argument should be good, the pain point, we should, you know, make it best, when actually we should be thinking how we build our reputation. Um, what people have in their minds when they think about us and then build our logical arguments. So this was actually something that I really went deep on in banking on digital growth and framed the book around this. Uh, and it's tied back to the mind. And, you know, we look at there's three kind of different areas of the mind. You have the or the brain, you have the reptilian part of the brain, the oldest part of the brain, the survival brain, if you will. Now, I, I like to repackage that, and I appreciate the way that you, you've referenced this. These are not new ideas. These are ideas that have withstood this, the test of time because they're rooted in, in, in humanity. And so when you look at that, this idea of ethos, reputation, um, it's that, that oldest part of the brain. It's the, I call it the binary brain. Can I trust you? That's a one or a zero. It's a yes or a no. And if it's a yes, well, then we can move to the next part of the brain, which is the idea of the limbic system, feelings and emotion. So can I trust you? Yes. Well, how do you make me feel? You make me feel good. Fantastic. Now we can move to the last part, which is the, 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 the neofrontal cortex. And that's the logical piece of this. But I think so many times, for whatever reason, I don't have the answer of why. Maybe we can philosophize as to why. Um, why why do we think so much about the logical part of the mind or the experience, and we're not really thinking about the idea of reputation 
or even feelings and emotion? How do we, how do we, how have we bypassed those different areas of experience? Yeah, because building a reputation and building your, your brand is a long-term process. And again, how you do this, again, Aristotle told us how you do this, by the way, you create a set of ethical values and you make sure that you follow them under every circumstance. This is how people get to trust you uh, over time. Uh, but this takes time. You need to go out. You need to make uh, very clear to everyone else what are the values that you stand for um, and be consistent. And this is what we are not seeing today many times. Mm. People are not consistent um, or they are they are not sure what are the values they, um, they, they have. Um, and instead of doing that, which is a difficult process because it needs reflection and you need to be consistent and this is a long-term process, we're thinking about tactics that are easier to do uh, shorter, like, hey, um, this copy is stronger than the other copy, so the easy, the fast thing. Let's A-B test it, and we think that this is the most important thing. That's a good point. I think about Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote a book called The Four Agreements. And one of the four agreements is to be impeccable with your word. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and then do it. Um, and back to the, that point, we're, I think we, we sacrifice the long-term growth and real growth, transformative growth for temporary short-term gains. It's kind of think about like, um, I mean, I know you mentioned you, you know, you're, you're from Greece. My wife is Lebanese. We've got a common language there around the olive tree. Um, you know, it takes an olive tree seven years to bear fruit. But it can live for thousands of years and go on to bear fruit for thousands of years. What are we, and I think it's, a, it's an important question. Why do we sacrifice long-term growth for temporary short-term gains, but they don't solve the problem? Why, why do we choose not to be disciplined to do hard things? And I'll let you pick it up right there. Yeah. So um, I believe the main reason is that we are used to track everything, to measure everything. And um, today's leaders, they base everything. I mean, uh, performance, um, evaluations based on what they can measure. Mm. And typically, it is very difficult to measure long-term things. We measure things that are this quarter, this month, this week. So many marketers, and we really believe that as well, say today that, yeah, uh, digital marketing brought, you know, this uh, revolutionary idea that you can track everything. But there are things that you cannot track. And you need to have a belief. You need to believe that what I'm doing is good. And even if I cannot track it, then I will still be doing this because it will bring me results. Um, down the line. Uh, by the way, we did this experiment in Databox. We, we're not the only ones, but um, we started asking, uh, you know, this is called the um, self-attribution model or whatever you want to call it. When you have a sales call, we are asking, how did you hear about us? Yes. And 
we didn't expect the results because we're thinking, yeah, we have a great website with these campaigns. And more than one third says, yeah, we share, we saw you multiple times on LinkedIn or someone else told you about us. And we said, really? This is what is working today? Uh, we, or yeah, some people actually said, we saw you on ChatGPT, uh, which is, was very funny. But um, yeah, you cannot measure everything. So um, marketers today, they really need to prove their value to their leaders, to the CEO, to the CMOs by showing to them data. Mm. And it is really hard to measure things that are long-term. And I believe that's why people focus on things that they can measure. You're on to something, and I want to pause and maybe unpack this a little bit more this idea of dark social, dark funnel, however you want to call it. You know, if we think about what what the internet was, and we're at a very interesting time period because the internet reached the mass consciousness of humanity in 1994. Yeah, it existed before then, but from like just general kind of mass adoption. And of course, you know, there's going to be a global perspective depending upon where you were in 1994. But looking at from, say, the United States, and then you move out globally, there's different time periods, but we can look at 94 as an inflection point. And here we are 2024, you got a 30 year horizon line. And yeah, you could track, you know, clicks and whatnot. But the way that people shop and buy, that's continued to transform. And I really think like social media, quote unquote, you know, that kind of, you'd say the mass adoption there was around like, say, 2012 just to put a number on it so that's uh uh what is that 2000 or 1994 10 uh it's about six 15 16 years after the the dawn of the internet well here we are 30 years later so another 15 years post 2012 14 years and people are shopping and connecting and consuming differently now you can't track everything and so this idea of coming back to ethos reputation influence even i think we have to come back to some core truths um it's interesting because i ask marketing teams and i ask sales teams and ask leadership teams within financial brands what is marketing in one word and they look at me kind of funny what do you mean it's ads, it's emails, it's all of this tactic, social media, it's all this tactical stuff. And I go, I don't think so. I think marketing is the ability to influence a person's behavior in one way, shape, form, or fashion to make them move from A to B to B to C. And a lot of that takes time. It's almost like The value your marketing is creating today was based upon activities, depending upon your vertical, but I'm looking at this through the lens of financial services, was based upon the activities that you committed to three, six, nine, 12 plus months ago in a long buying journey, in a long buying cycle. The marketing activities that you're doing now in the present moment, though, those seeds you're planting in the minds of people may not bear fruit for another three, six, nine, 12 plus months down the road. So having that understanding and then also understanding too, 
What influences people? Fantastic question, and I <clears throat> I have an answer on that. Because if you see the tactics that marketing teams are talking daily, uh, we even do this in Databox as well, but I know because we are working with other marketing teams all the time. Or, yeah, imagine what you are talking in your team. It's It's... All these little things that we are talking about are based on behavioral psychology. For example, the CTA or this copy needs to be easy. People, uh, we need to make people click this and not that. We're talking about smaller things. <clears throat> or, uh, and if you go down this road, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, our CEO, Pete Caputa, always tells me, um, because I am in this mindset of behavioral marketing psychology, um, the cognitive load to be as easy as possible to make people do what we want them to do. And he says, no, serve the details. Okay, maybe, you know, long, uh, short term, you might get a few more clicks here or there, but people long term, they will appreciate the value that you so never sacrifice the details when you write a post, a blog post, or a campaign on little behavioral psychology marketing stuff to optimize for clicks here or there. And I believe that's something really important here. And it goes back to who you are, what are your ethical values, and how you want people to see you. Because if you are the person that wants to offer value, and this is the principle that guides you, then you will not start getting stressed on these little marketing tactics and, hey, let's make this uh, copy shorter because people will uh, read this because if it is a bit longer, they will not read this. Yes, but they might lose a very important detail. Um, and, and I believe that this is the discussion that the marketing team should have right now, yeah. uh, how to balance these you know, tactics that we gave too much attention to with the long-term things that you are will gain if you go away from those tactics. I think that's a great point because we're talking tactics, but I want to bring strategy into this. And, you know, I think a lot of people define strategy. Um, I, I, the reason I ask people to define a lot of things because it provides perspective into what their present-day belief system and structure is. And I always tell them, like, listen, this is not about right or wrong. It's just a matter of understanding. And I think once you gain a sense of understanding of where you're at, it's like all, all future growth starts by telling the truth about where you've been, where you're at, and where you could possibly grow next. And so perspective is the sum of context and framing. And we're all going to have a different context of the world through our own experiences. And we're going to frame things differently as well. And when you think about strategy versus tactics, well, this is what we're going to do. This is our roadmap. This is our strategic roadmap. And I'm like, strategy is also really making a commitment to this is what we're not going to do. And this is what we're going to say no to. And we're going to let go of because it no longer serves us. Which to that point, particularly through the lens of financial services and complex buying journeys um, that are very emotive you see the rise, particularly on TikTok, which I think there's a whole irony there. Because when you think about what TikTok was musically, you know, a bunch of kids dancing, and now it is, you know, rivaling Google, particularly for a Gen Z demographic for search. 
FinTalk, financial finfluencers, financial influencers, being able to influence the decisions of people. And I'm, I hypothesize, and this is the subject, this will be the subject of my third book, Banking on Expertise. It's a bold and radical idea now, and I'm putting it out into the world, and it'll be fun to look back three years from now and see where this went. But the influence, an individual brand of a leader, of a lender, of an advisor, their influence has the potential to be more influential than that of the corporate brand. Why could that be? Yeah, uh, you are going into a very trendy discussion right now. Um, branding on a brand versus personal brand and how these things uh, work. Uh, we have a very clear opinion on that, actually. And this is something that I have researched, although I would gladly um, continue the conversation with people that are more experienced and uh, everyone that uh, knows a bit more about these things, I would like to connect with them. So, yeah, right now, um, because the, the marketing resources are not infinite, um, People need to make a decision, hey, are we investing on our brand or do we invest on people that are connected in a way with the brand? In the past, we had influencers that the connection with the brand was very light. Now, the modern influencers are the CEOs, mm -hmm. the directors. <clears throat> so, and people say, okay, we don't have anything in time where we are going to invest. And uh, I know that you discussed this also with Peter, our CEO, uh, in your podcast. But uh, our, what we believe is that you need to invest in both. You need to invest in your brand account and people from your team that are, you know, they are heavily connected with the brand and work together organically to helping uh, each other. And the important thing here is that your brand and the people share common beliefs and point of views and the same the same system of uh, beliefs and they are not afraid to to discuss about them because <clears throat> if you see um, what pr agencies were saying 10 years ago don't be you know uh, confrontational don't uh, make people angry you know this is the the old thinking that you need to be likable by everyone and you need to be safe. And this is what you said. Strategy is letting something uh, go. Um, we have seen people, the, the most, the, the best brands and people that have the best influence, that they have a clear point of view. They're not afraid to go and uh, they're very open about this. I mean, not in the sense to harm others or, you know, but say, this is what we believe. And they insist on that both on the brand side and the people that represent the brand. Yeah. Which gets into the, the need to always learn and to question because it's almost like I feel in, you know, we were talking about Socrates before, um, 
the way that he defines knowledge is I know I know nothing. It's almost like the more that I learn, the more I know I don't really know anything. And I'm, I'm having to continuously just ha- keep an open mind. And once again, let go of what I thought I knew and challenge previous beliefs that may no longer be the best path forward. What, on that note, being able to challenge yourself, what have been the greatest lessons that you have learned through your study of philosophy or thinking through your own thinking that might be helpful for others to navigate complex times, turbulent times, kind of like we're in right now. Yeah. So um, this is what I learned during a difficult period of my life. And later I realized that, hey, hold on. These are things that we see every day in business. Like, for example, the notion that, I mean, my favorite philosopher is Heraclitus. And um, he's the first person in recorded history. Obviously, there were very wise people before him, great civilizations, but we don't know. Uh, We don't know who said this thing. So Heraclitus was the first man in history that says everything is changing. And deal with it. You cannot change it. You cannot change the fact that everything is changing. So learn to control what you can control. You cannot control things not to change. So, um, and this is something we need to realize. And I believe that this is a good thing. Heraclitus said something else that um, uh, ups and downs are part of the circle. And again, what uh, goes well now, it will for sure go uh, downhill in the future and this will be reversed. And when you think that, hey, um, we cannot really change this. We know that we will have bumps. We know that we will celebrate wins. Um, and we shouldn't have this incidents define us. Then you are getting freed of what happens, which they need to inform your strategy. Of course, what happens needs to inform your strategy, your beliefs, and you need to adapt those things, but they shouldn't define you. Um, although this might be uh, goes um, against what we believe in Databox, that you know, um, data is there to inform your decisions and you need to constantly look at, at data, but once again, to inform your decisions and your strategy, not that you should change your strategy uh, all the time. And Heraclitus said something else that true understanding requires effort. This is something that we do many times. We see something, we see a trend, a benchmark, a new thing, and we believe that we understand it immediately. And we believe, yeah, I got this. Mm -hmm. This is what, uh, this is all that there is in this thing. Uh, While really we need effort, observation, reflection. and honestly, I didn't realize that these are, were the things that guided me in my uh, professional journey that brought me here, uh, where I am. And I, many times I show this thinking in other leaders, they were not so adaptable. And this made the things uh, difficult for them. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't know. I can talk about Heraclitus and the lessons from him and other ancient philosophers for years. Yeah. But I believe these three things that I mentioned are the main things. You, you mentioned something, though, as, as we start to wrap up. I, I want to pause and just unpack a bit more. You noted reflection, the need to pause and to review and reflect. In Banking on Change, I am putting forth what I call the four seasons for exponential growth. There's a season of learning, there's a season of thinking, there's a season of doing, and then there's a season of reviewing. What I see so often, though, is we get stuck, and I'm just as guilty of this. Um, and so you, once I think you, it's a matter of awareness, once you create some awareness, you're, you might continue to repeat the same mistake, but then you have that awareness of like, okay, I did this, now let me do this again. Now I might change those habits, those behaviors. But we get stuck in doing what, 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 and and I think if we think about the age of AI, doing is the most out of those four seasons. Doing is the most ripe for disruption. So what does that mean? We need to probably create more space and time to review, to learn. And then to think about how to do even better, whether or not we're going to be doing that doesn't matter at this point. It's just using that as a mental model or a framework. What do you say to a leader who is just so busy? Like, I am so busy. And he goes, I don't have time. I don't have to. I'm just, I got to just keep doing, 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 but I don't have time to, to stop. I don't have time to review. I don't have time to reflect. How do you break free from that cycle? Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question. Um, you mentioned Socrates before and his famous saying, all I know is I know nothing. Actually, he has another very famous quote, which is my uh, personal favorite. He said, the unexamined life mm. is not worth living. And what he meant, uh, he said that at the end of the day, you need to go and really examine everything that you did during the day, but not only what you did, but your beliefs and reflect on those and try to um let's say uh, correct yourself if you did something uh, bad or if you believed something and um, maybe we should re-examine that he said examine your life and your beliefs every night and if you don't do this if you just do things without reflecting what kind of life is this yeah he said it's a life not worth living he was so strong about that uh, and I believe this captures perfectly what you said about how important is reflection. Epictetus, the same thing with the nightly reflections or Marcus Aurelius with, you know, his morning review, um, you, know, re, you know, living the day before the day unfolds kind of a thing. It creates, in, maybe because we're not taught that, at least I wasn't taught that. So I didn't develop that behavior or that habit um, until a very painful experience in my own life um, forced me to just look around. And I think once you hit rock bottom in some certain areas, kind of just, well, I, there's nowhere to go from here, but up. But I also think too, having had some negative experiences, those are just lessons to be learned. Um, and if we can take something from them, whether it's for ourselves or to help other people, 
that's what makes the world an even better place. Um, and with that in mind, thank you for sharing your perspective and our conversation today. I always like to send those who are watching or listening off with something very practical that they can do right now in the present moment to guide them forward. Obviously a very small, simple commitment. What would the one thing be that you would recommend someone watching or listening do to apply philosophy within their bank, within their credit union or within their FinTech, something small. Yeah. Um, something that has helped. I mean, at some point in my professional life, I was managing 25 people and, you know, different people uh, needed different things. But one thing that helped everyone is go to a piece of paper and put the five things that you want others to think about you when they hear your name. Which are the, okay, not five, three things. When they hear Nikos, the one, two, three things that they come immediately and work on that. Is this what you want? Let's say people might think Nikos is funny. Is this really what I want people to think about me? The first thing and work on what you want people, on what is your values and work on that. Um, and do that at the company level as well and so on. But I have seen this working greatly in many people from level one positions up to uh, managers and uh, directors and uh, board members. And that really brings this whole conversation very practical, but it brings us all the way back to how we started. That's the ethos. That's the reputation. Yep. So what do you want to be known by? And once you have clarity of that for yourself, it's easy to begin to create the actions that when repeated become the habits to execute against that future state, that perspective, that reputation there. Nikos, this has been a lot of fun. If someone wants to continue the conversation that we've started here, what is the best way for them to reach out, say hello to you, connect with you? Yeah, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. I am having philosophy conversations almost weekly with people and I really love this. And I see a lot of need, people feel the need to go back to philosophy, which I didn't expect, uh, to be honest. Why is that? So, Why is that? Number one, you're because you're you're doing this. Like you said, you're on LinkedIn. You're having these conversations. You're seeing a need. People want to go back. Why? I think people need clarity. I think this constant change of this world that becomes more unknown, more weird, People need this clarity that uh, philosophy can offer. Yeah. People are looking for clarity. Clarity leads to courage. Courage leads to commitment. Commitment then moving forward leads to continued confidence. Nikos, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth Podcast. This has been a lot of fun today, buddy. You're welcome. Thank you. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, be the light.